0: Hello everybody and welcome back to EpiCentral. I'm your host Maddie Lewis, infectious disease epidemiologist and in today's episode we're going to talk about politics and public health and the upcoming election. I really hope everybody listening to this knows this, but there is an upcoming election very soon, the midterm election. I'm recording this on Sunday, November 6th. The midterm election is Tuesday, November 8th. Also, hopefully y'all know this, but election day is, I believe it's each year on the first Tuesday of every November, unless the Tuesday is November 1st. So it's every, it's the first Tuesday between November 2nd and November 8th. I have already voted. I encourage everybody listening to go vote. And let's talk about how much of public health is affected by politics. And I'm not going to touch on too much, but let's just get into it. So for federal funding and how that affects public health. Well, first of all, there's the safety net programs. Just a few examples of the ones that are very relevant in public health are SNAP benefits, which is like food stamps, and then WIC, which is women, infant, and children. And WIC is another supplemental nutrition program that is federally funded. It helps give food and formula and support to babies and mothers. And these programs are very important in the United States because the U.S. lacks a very comprehensive safety net program, I guess. I'm definitely more of a socialist, so I could talk about this all day, but in most other high-income countries, there are more universal structures that support the safety net, so to speak. For example, my favorite example is the United States is essentially the only high-income country in the world that does not have a universal healthcare system. We are the only one, pretty much, that has a mainly privatized system. I mean, it is both private and public, but we have by and far the largest gap of people without healthcare who are who are not insured or underinsured. And this really affects all areas of people's lives and so much of politics. And if you are wondering why that is politically, it is because the United States is traditionally a lot more right-wing or conservative compared to most other high-income countries. I'm sure there are exceptions, but we are just generalizing here. Um, The United States, I mean, there's just so much to get into. And one of my favorite facts about all of that is that those... Those universal healthcare programs are actually so popular and so much of the world that it is a lot less common for politicians, even right-wing or conservative politicians in other countries, to contest those or like try to fight against those universal healthcare systems because they are so popular. And it's very interesting because in the US, um, a very big political point made by Republicans or conservatives who are against universal healthcare is that these programs and these universal healthcare programs in other countries are actually not popular and that they're really poor, really bad, and that people hate them. And that's actually not true if you look at not only the data, but the overall like, political um, climate in other countries. They are not unpopular, and many people don't fight against them because people would not vote for them if they did. Again, a generalization, but that is pretty true in much of the world. Moving on, so there's also CDC funding that is very much federally funded, and CDC does so much in the area of public health. They kind of control, mm, control is kind of a bad word, but uh, they kind of take over a lot of the country's public health responsibilities in research, in surveillance, which is keeping track of diseases and setting standards in public health. For example, what vaccines people should be taking in what ages and what situations. There is also a just plethora of information available on CDC's web pages. And doctors use those web pages. Other public health professionals do just all sorts of people use CDC's information to inform themselves because again, they're taking care of like it is like the experts of the country taking care of all of that information, doing that research or collecting that research and kind of having a final say in a lot of it. CDC is definitely not always right in everything. Um, some areas they have. Better expertise than others, I would say, which is why it kind of ticks me off when people are very anti CDC because of the way that they handled the pandemic. And as someone who is a very much a CDC critic herself, I criticize CDC literally all the time. Um, but like, it's also like unfair to say that they do nothing for public health and that they're like completely incompetent. Like, they have incompetent moments. Um, they don't really care about people with disabilities as much as they should, which is a really major problem with them. Um, however, they do literally so much in the area of public health, and they guide health departments. They they do so much that it's. I just think it's wrong to say that they're like a complete disaster and that we should like defund them. For example, there definitely needs to be a major reform. Um, change, probably some leadership uh, changes as well. But anyway, moving on, there are also federal grants and programs for research and different projects in public health, and I'm not going to get into any of those. And then there is state and community level policy that is affected by politics. So just a few examples of this are, of course, health departments and those are run by states and localities, such as counties and cities. And health department workers are actually very underpaid. I made a TikTok about this, but at my state, an EPI one is paid only—I think it's like thirty-five to forty-nine thousand dollars a year, and it requires a master's degree, which is just absolute BS. And not only are public health workers underpaid at health departments, but also we lack enough public health workers at so many health departments across the country. It is really a major problem, in my opinion, that really needs to be addressed. I don't hear people talk about this enough, but because of the lack of funding and like proper amount of employees, That some public health workers are just very overworked, and we can't do nearly as much work as we should be able to do. And if you're wondering what some of the important work that health department workers actually do, um, one of the biggest things in the area that I work in is surveillance, and that's keeping track of diseases. And that is so important because if we don't know what diseases, are affecting our community and how bad they are affecting our community, then we're pretty much in the dark about everything. Health departments also give out vaccines, STD testing, resources for all sorts of people, so they're very important. In addition to health departments, state and community level policy also affects libraries, schools, public transit, and so many resources that keep a community running. I mean, without these things, would we even be a community in a way that's questionable? Not to mention public health, uh, I hope, aims to advocate for better accessibility, walkability, better sidewalks, and infrastructure especially in how that affects people with disabilities and when i talk about people with disabilities by the way i'm not only talking about people with let's say down syndrome as just like one of so many examples of a disability but also people who are older and have many disabilities and diseases that affect their everyday life not only in mobility But there's intellectual disabilities, there is, like, social and behavioral. And moving on, state and local or community-level policy also affects hospital systems very much so, not only in the availability of doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals, Uh, and nursing homes. I mean, that's a big thing too. Obviously, a lot of hospitals are private, but there is a lot of public funding that goes through them as well. And there are ways that the state and local governments can ensure that there are more doctors, nurses, uh, and healthcare professionals available in their jurisdictions. Um, But also, outside of all that, there are just uh, policies that affect affect the entire state certain uh, medical procedures and uh, healthcare care uh, procedures can't be done in certain states and one example of that is abortion and that is very relevant because of the roe v wade um, overturned decision that happened earlier this year in 2021 and now abortion rights are up to the states and many states it is now illegal to get an abortion and abortion is not accessible at all in those states which is really I would say a major problem in public health because even though abortion isn't even that common I think some people some people who are anti-abortion really overblow how common it is And I've even seen, like, really insane, like, fake statistics on how many abortions even occur each year. I don't know. That's a separate rant. But what I'll say here is I think anti-abortion and anti-vaccine people have the most impressive misinformation and disinformation campaigns to ever exist. I mean, it's actually kind of impressive. Like, the absolute ridiculous things that these movements can get people to believe are true, which are just so incredibly false. Anyway, so uh, state-level policy also affects birth control access, emergency contraception, um, things of that sort, um, which is very important. And of course, coming full circle, access to voting, which literally controls everything else. State and local governments control Um, A lot of the like laws and how they conduct elections, such as if they are allowing early voting, if they allow absentee voting, and whether or not an absentee ballot needs an excuse, like if you're actually going to be out of town or if you're like too old or something versus if you just want to do absentee ballot because you want to fill out a ballot at home instead of going to the polls physically. And also, I would say (laughs) a lot of my politics are coming out in this episode, but there is so much voter suppression that happens in the United States. It's actually impressive. And if you don't believe me, then one of the most blatant forms that we all know exists and, like, try debating against this not being an actual issue and, like, you're not going to find a good argument for it. But, yeah, one of the biggest examples is gerrymandering, which is the manipulation of electoral, like, boundaries to favor one party, and it's just absolutely ridiculous, and it's funny because it affects how we vote for Congress, and Congress are the people who control the laws, and so they, like, kind of- I think the reason that gerrymandering even still exists is because it- Positively affects the people who could vote against it, and so they just like never vote against it because it's what's keeping them in office, which is really disgusting. Okay, anyway, moving on. So, public health is very much political. So much of what we do, kind of on the bird's eye view of things, is ran by politics. If we have enough funding, policies that affect people's health, and then prevention and community programs, all those things I just mentioned. But at the same time as the fact that public health is very political, public health is also kind of not very political. And I know those are two contradictory statements, but like, hear me out. So science attempts to operate outside of or independent of politics which is a very interesting topic to me so we try to set up experiments and research studies that have the least amount of bias as possible and that's all types of bias political and personal biases included so we want to be as objective as possible when we're creating and implementing research studies as well as analyzing data and there are so many different strategies to be able to achieve a uh, mitigating bias in research, and you learn all about those strategies in grad school. They're very interesting. But moving on, in that way, we attempt to learn about the world and public health and physiology and medicine and all of those things in a way that is kind of as far away from politics as possible. Like, you definitely don't want to be conducting a medical or health-related study at all if politics is involved in the study. Unless, of course, like, you're researching, like, political views and how that affects health, then that's, like, different. But any other thing, like, if you're testing how a drug works, like, you do not want your political beliefs to at all affect the research study And we are nowhere near perfect in getting this right. And I could make like a million different episodes on how political bias and like racial bias and um, bias against women and all of that affects science. I mean, that is like, these are major issues. And I'm not going to argue that bias is like taken care of at all. However, we have come a long way And it's pretty widely agreed upon that in every single research study, there is bias. Like, there's some bias of some sort. However, we do have to attempt to understand what the bias is so that we can evaluate the study more accurately. So it's not about eliminating bias or having a bias-free bias free a study that is impossible and anybody who claims that a research study has no bias is incorrect. They mean to say there is a least amount of bias or a less amount of bias as possible, but there's never none, first of all. But if we learn more about bias and how different types of bias are affecting a specific study then we can better understand how accurate the study is and in which ways did it like fail and which which ways is the study more successful so again in that way public health is not political uh, because of the way that science attempts to not be political but and of course reality it's all political because the funding that we get for science is political who's conducting the research study like if it's a corporation that's funding it like a pharmaceutical company funding something You know it it's all it all affects it somehow also there's really interesting conversations to be had about how people's personal politics and beliefs affect their health and i find this topic really interesting so i want to talk about vaccines as a very interesting example or case study so to speak so interesting enough Vaccines were not politicized in the same way that they are now um, until COVID happened. So to give you a bit of a timeline or context, rather, the decades leading up to COVID, vaccines were not really contested in a meaningful way uh, across the political parties. So in the U.S., we have two main political parties, unfortunately. We have the Democratic and Republican parties. And most people, most politicians fall into one of two camps, although you could argue that their actual belief systems don't necessarily fall into those camps. But most people kind of have to vote in those two and those two parties anyway there have been several studies done on the like belief systems surrounding vaccines within one political party or another and then we can also kind of just look at the overall culture of how we talked about vaccines in political settings such as like on the news and politi- politicians making speeches about it and um you know on their websites and all of that and overall, the decades leading up to COVID, again, there there wasn't, like, people weren't anti-vaccine in the same way. So starting with studies, there have been several studies done, but uh, they have different findings that kind of contradict each other. But the one thing that they all kind of have in common that I've found in trying to do, like, trying to understand this topic, is that there. There's not, like, a heavy emphasis on anti-vaccines within one political camp or the other. There have been studies that have found more Democrats have been anti-vaccine. And if you get more specific into that, that's more of the, like, crunchy, liberal, like, granola, you know, you know, natural medicine type of people that tend to lean Democrat and um so there are studies that show that more democrats were anti-vaccine and then there are also studies that have shown more republicans that are anti-vaccine who tend to be more the like my body or like my not my body my choice oh my god more like the like uh like leave the government out of my decisions type of people and funny enough during or Funny enough, pre COVID, I actually learned about this exact topic in one of my undergrad classes. And if we think about the media and the culture surrounding like attitudes and vaccines pre COVID, if you were watching the news at all, reading newspapers, paying attention to politics pre COVID, then you know that vaccines weren't really like a hot topic. Other hot topics included immigration um you know drugs like all sorts of things but vaccines were not really talked about that much and that's because it it just like wasn't a hot topic then also pre-covid and now uh vaccines have been mandated in schools so each state all 50 of them have vaccine and mandates for school children So basically what that means is there is a vaccine schedule, which is, like, the type of vaccines and the timing of when you should give them to uh, children who are approaching school age, uh, so from, like, babyhood to, like, um, throughout, like, teenagehood, and schools mandate that children take these vaccines, and hopefully uh, good timing, but as long as they take the required ones before they enter a certain grade, um, yeah, that has been required for absolutely decades. And vaccine mandates, again, were not talked about very much, but when they were, um, they were actually very well supported by politicians on both sides of the political spectrum. Um, Republicans and Democrats alike tend to encourage people to get vaccines um, and, yeah, to be vaccinated and supported legislation that kept requiring uh, mandates. And then COVID happened. And of course, COVID is a very special situation. Uh, but overall, the attitudes surrounding vaccines have completely changed. And it's not just the COVID vaccine. Because you could argue like, oh, Republicans are only anti-COVID like, vaccine. And that's not true. Attitudes surrounding all vaccines have definitely changed in uh, the political parties, and more people have become anti-vax in both parties, that's for sure, but the proportion of anti-vaccine people or vaccine-hesitant people has increased the most within the Republican Party, and that is not only extremely obvious in and no matter what news media you're consuming, whether you're consuming media that is traditionally more biased towards or against one party, it is very blatantly obvious to pretty much the entire world. And also, uh, it is it's done in actual research and economic studies, and you know, polling. And yeah, we can we can understand people's attitudes pretty well by using polling, and that has shown more vaccine hesitancy within the Republican side. And so that is one of my favorite examples, just because it's very fascinating and very relevant. And of course, this isn't just a individual health issue, but a public health and safety, public safety issue as well. And in my opinion, one of the biggest challenges that we face in public health at the moment. Um, But also political belief systems affect people's Health decisions in general outside of vaccines. So, they're reproductive health decisions like safe sex practices, whether or not someone buys and uses condoms, chooses to use birth control options, emergency contraceptions, or is willing to get an abortion if needed. And a really interesting thing that I've heard from healthcare providers who work in abortion clinics. And I will make a disclaimer really quick that this is just like hearsay. These are just anecdotes. And I highly doubt this is like the biggest widespread issue ever, but it is a very interesting observation I have heard from different people who work inside of abortion clinics. And that's that there are very interesting people that go through these clinics who are very deeply against abortion. They're usually very religious and have made it very clear that they believe that abortion is murder and the doctor conducting the abortion is a mass murder, pretty much, that they are conducting murders like every day at the clinic. And they will say all of that while they're getting an abortion, which, to be completely frank, is very impressive level of cognitive dissonance that should be studied in a laboratory. Anyway, all that to say, go vote in the midterm election. The midterm election is just as important as a presidential election. Remember 2020, how we all actually got up and went to vote? Okay, now it's time to go do that again, because all 435 seats in the House are up, and 35 out of 100 Senate seats are up. So majority of Congress, and if you didn't know, Congress literally makes and passes All the laws in this country, all the federal ones, um, obviously the president helps out too, but they do a majority of that legislative work. And not only that, but 36 out of 50 states are up for governors. So majority of the people listening probably have a governor to elect in this election, which is very, very important. They control your entire state. You will also likely see local seats on your ballot, as well as referendums, which are direct questions such as uh, should we make selling alcohol illegal on Sundays, you know, stuff like that. So please, again, go vote and encourage your family and friends to go vote. Uh, Personally, I love early voting, but that period is most definitely over for most, if not everybody, listening today. So go ahead and show up at the polls on Election Day, which is Tuesday, November 8th. It's this week. Before you show up to the polls, you can make sure you are registered by going to vote.org or your state government's website. They should have information on telling you if you are active in your voting registration. And before I leave y'all for the rest of the week, I do want to give you guys some laws that I would enact if I was president. And I posted these on TikTok, but I do feel like I need to spread the word more on these things because they're very important topics. And unfortunately, I'm not running in 2024, but I do think these topics are important to talk about. So number one, TV shows cannot be more than nine seasons, Uh, just like the... Don't, pay, don't stay out past 2 a.m. kind of rule that we've created. Um, I think that the same goes for TV shows. I think nothing good happens past nine seasons, and that's being generous. I mean, more like six seasons, if you ask me, but n- nine to be very liberal. Number two, if I was president, I would enact a law that made a minimum wage $75,000 a year um, yes I'm a socialist i you can probably tell by all the opinions that I spewed in this in this uh podcast so you you can accuse me of being a socialist with that one but uh I already am so uh, we can figure out how to make people not allergic to dogs and cats that needs to be a law and that is because I'm allergic to dogs and cats and I think it's unfair I'm allergic to pretty much every mammal and it's Really ridiculous at this point. Uh, we need more research on that. Number four, cauliflower rice is absolutely banned. It's illegal. It is on the schedule of illegal substances. Cauliflower rice is a sin and we need to stop. Diet culture is so disgusting. Number five, dyeing your hair blonde and then brown with the seasons. Would be highly illegal in my if I, in my society if I was president. Um, I just really get ticked off when people do this. I'm all for dyeing your hair, but to dye it brown because it's cold outside and then dye it blonde because it's warm outside is very weird behavior. Um, sorry, I'm being very judgmental, but I just it's just not right. And then also, my mom is a hairstylist. And we always secretly make fun of people who do this because okay, my mom doesn't like actually judge people, but she tells me, she tells me these things and then I judge them because I just like don't get it. It's just so much hair damage for your hair for like a reason that's so dumb. And then number six, uh, gyms have to have a one to one ratio of men and women, and I think that goes without an explanation needed. Like. I am so sick of showing up to the gym and there's like a 20 men to one woman ratio in there. It's just ridiculous. So, um, yeah. Or we need more female only gyms or women only gyms. What? Why did I say the word female? That's weird. Okay, enough of that nonsense. I'm sure I offended someone. So apologies. Um, and I hope everybody has a great week. Go out and vote. Okay, bye.